Welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. Winter is here. Winter is here in journalism. Um, And I'm thrilled to be joined uh, this week by Emily Bell, who's my neighbor downstairs at the Columbia Journalism School. She's the director of the Tao Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia, a good friend of CJR, um, and somebody who's thought a lot about what's happening. Um, Hello, Emily. Hey, Kyle. How are you? I'm wintry. I've wintry. actually I've come dressed for the snowpocalypse. Yeah. I've both got, inside and out. I've got my um, white sweater that I wear once a year. You have. You're looking very Perry Como. <laughs> um, the, that's one for the old listener. Older yeah, listener. Yeah, of which we have none. No. Yes. <laughs> Just me. Just you. Um, so, um, so, you know, we both follow the news closely. And in some sense, what hap- what's happened in the last week should have been no surprise, right? We, right. we knew that the digital ad business was hitting a wall. We've heard, we heard rumblings of layoffs and whatever. But it did hit with a force that was unexpected to me. I think it did. And it had an end of days feeling about it. And I know that there are plenty of our colleagues in other parts of the press who've had that feeling before, notably in local journalism. Yeah. Um, but I think why this was different was was really for two reasons, one of which is just the category of businesses being hit, particularly BuzzFeed, who had made a point of configuring their business model to be as flexible and as digitally native as possible. Um, and they were backed royally um, on the basis of their vision. And actually, they were pretty... They were really excellent at everything they did. They were mm. excellent at viral uh, marketing. They were excellent at journalism. Um, but it's just that their model isn't working as it should. And I think the second thing is that one of the reasons it's so chilling is that this is happening when we are not in a recession. Mm-hmm. You know, when the jobs numbers are still falling, when we are not in negative growth. Uh, and, and people suspect that that's coming. Mm-hmm. And when it does come, this is possibly a taste of, of, of much worse. Yeah, it's like a it's like musical chairs, right? I mean, th- these you know, especially BuzzFeed and HuffPost, both both of which announced big cuts in the last week. These were the places that you would tell your students, right, or young journalists, like call them up. They've got right. stuff. Um, at least BuzzFeed was founded entirely on finding ways to make stuff crackle and right. and, and make it resonate with people. And that business is. I mean, do you think that? Is this sort of the end of days for that model? I mean, is it basically done for now? Earlier this week, um, Max Willens at Digiday did a really great deep dive piece. One of the things that Max had was he had Jonah Peretti's um, memo to staff. And one of the things that I pulled out of it was where Jonah said, uh, you know, this is not the end for BuzzFeed. And he said things like, so he said, we can build a profitable media business on top of Facebook and YouTube. That was their model, remember. But only when the content we make is of high quality with massive scale and relatively low production costs. That means no That news. means no. That means that to me, that means this is not a model which is ever going to work. For news. No, not for news and, uh, you know, maybe not for marketing either. So so it, uh, I, th- I think that that was a, uh, when I read that, I thought they're either going to have to really start to be a production house in a much more meaningful way and make video. Um, and it felt as though news is largely absent from this vision. Um, so whether or not their excellent news outfit is going to be 
floated off or um, separated out or completely sort of sat they, they've been having a go at membership funding, which is really hard going. I mean, I just I read uh, Jill Abramson's book, um, which has several chapters on BuzzFeed. Um, and I mean, she one of the things that comes through is that this, you know, that news was not remotely baked into the culture of that place. And it had nothing to do with why the company was formed or why, how they sort of saw it as being successful. And it was fairly late in the game that they sort of, you know, added right. news on. Just culturally, there's a real question about whether, I mean, whether it's going to be, whether they're going to see it as worth the trouble. This is kind of almost bigger than a business problem. It's an actually, and it is a genuine existential crisis. Because BuzzFeed doesn't really know what it is anymore. Mm. And I think there is a real problem when you are the new kid on the block who is the coolest, the smartest, the fastest, the first, and everybody wants to stand next to you and they want to spend extra money on their advertising to have the yellow Mm -hmm. thing. Um, When you're not that anymore and you're not quite a news company and the viral marketing business is not quite working as you'd... That's the big question for me now, which is what is BuzzFeed? Mm And is it is it fairly is it fair to extrapolate that problem to digital news sites like HuffPo, Vox? Uh, you also have to look at some of the cuts that BuzzFeed made. It was very shocking to see them, for instance, cut their entire national security desk. Mm-hmm. But then when you think about who does great national security reporting now, as opposed to ten years ago, you have the Intercept. You have the Daily Beast that has a great desk. You've had BuzzFeed. You know, that's gone. You have big expansion at the New York Times and uh, the Washington Post. You know, you have you have sort of you have international players like The Guardian that would never have been in this patch before. So there's still a kind of, I think, a reconfiguring going on, which means that we haven't really right. So we don't really know what the right size of the Mm. market is because we haven't found that business model. Mm. And if you're Huffington Post, you've been like BuzzFeed doing some good reporting. Um, but you're now part of an organisation. You're part of, you know, a telecoms company, for which journalism isn't a priority. It looks as though it's not going to be a priority for BuzzFeed. Uh, I think for the Vox um, companies, uh, they are slightly more protected um, in that they have been backed by essentially a journalistic organisation, so mm-hmm. NBC News, mm-hmm. um, and they are at a smaller, more manageable scale. They've been they've managed their growth, I think, possibly a little bit more judiciously. But even there, I think that it must be a very bad moment because you don't have the underpinning of an old brand, rich family, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a not-for-profit mission. And and those are all the things that we see that are working at the moment. The ad market is, is not working. You know, we've been in this kind of mad scramble for a business model for the last... Yes. ...ever. <laughs> That's right. Um, last... Twenty hundred years. Yeah. Uh, you think it's time to sort of say, um, yeah, that's it, there, business. Business model is not the word we should be looking for. Maybe there isn't a for-profit well, way I, forward here. I mean, I've been in trouble for about the last five years for saying this in America, which is saying that the problem with American journalism, in particular is that it's so tied to uh, an idea, a completely false idea, that good journalism will always make money. Um, and it's in it some did. ways... It did for a long time. It did for a long time. It did uh, post-war. Arguably, that will turn out to be a historic blip. Mm. And I do think that actually the pushing of the idea that there has to be a model of profitability stopped 
entrepreneurial thinking in other areas, like sort of mm. in terms of social enterprise, in terms of kind of, you know, what would it really mean to innovate um, membership or subscription models? I was at The Guardian for a long time before I came here. I was dead set against um, paywalls mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, they were so expensive. We didn't have very rich um readers it just felt like that was an impossible model but when you look at how much has changed in the mobile world it feels as though that sort of you know that constant innovation has to happen but but for a time we were sort of obsessed for well first of all lots of media companies were actually working um flat out to keep their innovation in step with the big platforms mm-hmm. you're yeah. doing the work to integrate into their and platforms benefit them. and benefit them mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. you know we've done a lot of research on how many people in newsrooms have been made to kind of face in a slightly different direction to the one they would have done um because of the demands or the offerings made to them by big platforms uh, you know this this whole thing Kyle that you've um you know, written so much about in CJR and, and talked about on the podcast, which is Pivot to Video. Mm-hmm. Pivot to Video was largely a, a platform created mm-hmm. movement, which, mm-hmm. you know, cost lots of journalists their jobs and hasn't worked out. Mm-hmm. So, so it's journalism equal sign with a slash mark through it, capitalism. Like these two things I, do not. Uh, market driven um, strategies do not work for journalism at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think they've worked for some time mm. because the market does not really value what good journalism does. Yeah. It doesn't want rich people exposing. Um, it doesn't want power investigating. Um, and it doesn't really want to give you its advertising dollars mm. anymore. So so that, that, I think, has been broken for a while. Um, but obviously, you know, you need kind of economic stimulus, you know, and you can't. You can't have everything. So we, you, we don't want RT and Sputnik and things like that. But I think we're so far away from that in America. You need a more mixed and balanced economy. So you do need alternatives. You need better funded civic media, essentially, that will work. Can we in please a start way. with healthcare first and then do journalism? Well, and that's the other thing, which is this is just another part of an economy which has been lashed to free market, really free market principles, which which hasn't hasn't panned out. I think. I think what you're saying makes total sense, and I think what's what it, the the real gem in it, it is that it's going to force us to articulate in a different way what journalism is about and why you should want it. Yes, but in a way, like you said at the top of the show, we've sort of been waiting for this, and it's really shocking when it arrives. But somehow we've been trapped in this never-ending nightmare that says, if only journalism was, if only journalism was a bit better. Mm-hmm. It would be sustainable. If only these people. If only we so, could have one more conference about business just, models. If we could just have one more conference. If you could just be a bit more like Facebook, everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not true. It, you know, some markets are not going to pay for journalism. You know, and they still deserve high quality coverage. Mm-hmm. And some journalism has not been very good. So that's the other thing is that you know some business models have propped up crappy journalism for too long. Yeah. So. If we're, if we're entering a phase of a real reckoning about what do we need, what do communities need, how do we build it, how do we train people to do it, how do we fund it, in a way it's a bit of a relief that the whole false narrative, to my mind, false narrative about we can save this with another set of gizmos or another set of, um, another set of middleware, this like whole kind of explosion in, hey, if we just do some more engagement, hey, if we do some more fact-checking, you know, it's like, no, we need more reporting, but we need it to be 
paid for and supported properly. Well, but I think the key is what when you just ticked off that list, how we pay for it was the last thing. Um, and I think like, and I think a, a lot of this has to do with how we think about this as a journalistic community, like not make this about us and about you have to save journalism because we're reporters and we're right. a protected class yeah. or that we represent the First Amendment or that democracy is going to f- die if we lose our jobs. But more like, um, you know, what you know, what kind of information do we need to function as a yep. society? And like, what it, what do you need to know to make sure that the ki- the school that your kids mm-hmm. go to is safe? Yeah. And so it's the effects of journalism is what we need to promote, as opposed to right. the jobs or the businesses or the number of subscriptions. I think that's abs- I think that's absolutely right. And I think that the hopeful part of that is that people who fund journalism, rich philanthropists billionaire dilettantes, ordinary people who actually want high-quality news and are prepared to pay for it. Um, I think that the value of actual reporting has been really exposed, uh, mm. you know, and in a good way. Um, and this idea of if it just all goes away, we'll still have data and Facebook groups and mm-hmm. tools and people will just be able to find out whatever they want to find out is a fantasy. And mm-hmm. I've heard that from Silicon Valley executives go, seriously saying, why do we need journalists? Right. I don't think anybody is having that conversation anymore. Um, but it's a long, it's, it's, it's disappointing. I mean, just to go back to the BuzzFeed thing, you know, in a way you really wanted them to succeed. Mm-hmm. You really, really wanted them. So you wanted to be able to look at the New York Times in a totally different model and mm-hmm. say, you know, there's plenty of room for lots of different people mm-hmm. doing things in very different ways. Mm-hmm. So it is incredibly, I think, crushing, um, obviously, for the people who work there, but um, particularly for, I think, those of us who thought it would be really great if we had more than just one alternative. Uh, how hard? How hard of a sell... Is this going to be in this sort of messaging to get people to think of journalism as something, maybe something more akin to like the water district or the the fire brigade, right? Is that that's yeah, sort of I, the direction I, I, that we I, need to go I th- to? I think so. Or like the local library, which nobody right. has anymore, or you know, or kind of theaters, or what you know, the, a cultural good right. that when it's taken out of your community, your community just becomes. Right. slightly less wonderful to be in. Yeah. And I think journalism has an underpinning function that if it's... So so when journalism works really well, lots of people don't actually notice it. Right. And I think that's one of the real problems with the sort of, if you like, new models, yeah. which is you have to spend a lot of time looking at it yeah. for it to work. But there's something about, you know, somebody who just doggedly reports the housing board every week for 10 years until something happens. And it's also not figured into... Uh, I mean, journalists often or historically haven't been very good salesmen about the value of what they do. I mean, they're good at right. promoting themselves, yeah. um, <laughs> but they're not so good at sort right. of saying, hey, this yep. journalism really mattered. There's an arrogance yep. built in that's like, we did this. Surely yep. you'll notice it and surely you'll realize it's a good thing. You know, we're quite tribal. We like to talk uh-huh. to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think also journalists have spent a long time being under attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a pretty self-reflective profession. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more self-doubt in journalism than you would find in, say, law. Law. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. yes. They, exa- have, they have exactly the opposite that. problem. They're, su- they're overconfident. Yes, exactly. They have, to, they have a terrible self-esteem problem. It's way too high. So, so uh, your, your, your former boss and good friend, Alan Rusbridger, 
wrote this book. He did. <laughs> Which I must get around to reading. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot what it's called, but it's something having to do with Breaking news. Breaking the news. news. Anyway. Um, news is broken. He has this anecdote about about that, that I think is relevant to this this point, which which was about you know they had the focus group of a bunch of people, and the question was, would you be willing to pay for the Guardian? Wouldn't you be willing mm-hmm. to pay? And one of the things that they learned is that people there were there were some people who were and some people who weren't, but there was another group of people who were willing to pay for so others could get it. Yes. So, Which I found to be totally fascinating. Yeah, well, I think so. So that was, if you like, some of the sort of the the, the thinking behind the membership model that the Guardian is yeah. pursuing now, which is not a hard paywall. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the kind of it, when you look at the way that the New York Times and the Washington Post have configured, you know, leaky paywalls and the Guardian's membership model, there is sort of within that, I think, an acceptance that it is not actually just transactional. You know, that you are giving money to these organizations so that they can do news. And if they give it free to other people, that's actually a good thing. There was a great piece of research out from the University of Texas this week, actually, on what we call the inelasticity of news pricing, which means that actually people who really like newspapers will pay an enormous amount yeah. to get them. Yeah. I don't think it's a sustainable model because I think that's... A, you can tap them out. Those are, if it's a, it's, as a very brutal news executive once said of his own readership, it's been a very hard winter when the uh, numbers dropped because it was an aging uh-huh. population of readers. <laughs> so there is a, so, so there's a, there is a, there's a built-in <laughs> problem yeah. with most news um but they have wills. Well, yeah, I and you know, I I don't think it's impossible to imagine a world where, you know, we do have a much larger sector of the media, which is um, public media or civic media or whatever whatever you want to call it. It's it's quite common in Europe for at least thirty percent of the media economy to be covered by something which is either you know taken from tax or um, hypothecated from advertising or whatever. Well. And this term civic media, I mean, maybe that's where we need to be thinking. I mean, maybe everybody should be civic media. Well, I sort of think if you're not doing civic media, I'm not quite sure why you're in journalism. So right. that's, so that's right. the first thing. I mean, a lot of publishing is now taken care of by platforms and what they do. They do distribution, they do hosting, they do monetization. Um, but they don't do reporting. So that's sort of the category of what journalism is mm-hmm. and how we do it. Um, you know, again, if you're not thinking, how can I benefit a broad set of people through getting this story into the kind of public eye, then I, I honestly don't know why you'll be doing it. Yeah. Are we required to end on an up note or are we good? I don't know. Is it bad taste to enter? I think we should be. So I think there is an up note because I think it always has to be an up note. Which is, it's not good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a podcasting rule. <laughs> it's a podcasting <laughs> right, where's rule. Where's the up note? To use the quote I always quote, which I think I stole from possibly our other colleague, Jelani Cobb, who mm-hmm. I think I heard saying this at, one of, uh, at a CJR event, mm-hmm. where he said, we can't afford despair. So I think that, and I think this, this idea of building something better uh, is really appealing. Well, I think that, there's a message here from the gods that they've given us this challenge at a time when what we're doing is, I think, inarguably more important than ever. Yes, right? I think that's yeah, absolutely so, right. So we have to f- we we don't. This is not a. I mean, not to dis academia. It's not, but it's not an academic question. Right. I mean, we we are we are sort of tasked with making this work because the story that we're supposed to be covering has never been bigger. Emily, thanks a lot. It was great to talk to you. 
That's really nice, Kyle. Come on my podcast. I would love to. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The Kicker. Um, check us out on cjr.org. Also, go to our new app called Galley. Um, right now, there's a thread. There's a couple of interesting threads. One about the debate about uh, whether journalists should get off of Twitter, which I know Emily has a lot of. <laughs> I'm just getting on Twitter. On. We've just um, yeah. And the other one is there is a thread for um, journalists that have recently been laid off where they can go and post their links to their work and blurbs on what they're looking for. So it's a place for people to, to go and maybe um, help out some journalists who need it. So thanks for listening. See you next week. Mm-hmm.